0: Welcome to yet another episode of Casted. This is actually our pandemic episode. We are recording in the late fall 2020 in the middle of a global pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic. The topic today relates to that very strongly. It's about the digital contact tracing. The example is the Danish uh, mobile phone app for that called SmitterStop, Infection Stop. And um, this is this is close to the kind of topic we like here at Casted because it's on the interplay of a highly non trivial technical solution and some immediate repercussions for society. Our guest today is Mikkel Tor. Mikkel is a professor at Copenhagen University in algorithms theory, easily one of the most respected researchers in algorithms, in particular about randomized algorithms, graph algorithms, and many other results. He's here today in his capacity of actually advising the Danish government on the development of the uh, application used in Denmark. Mikkel? Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Dolwa, and thank you for the introduction. Yeah. So we are sitting here quite close to each other in a sofa in the middle of the uh, analog bar at ITU. And the moment we sat down, by virtue of both of us having installed this program, our phones started sending messages to each other. Why and what does it do, and how does this work? This is a wonderful example of useless, uh, useful
1: nonsense, in the sense that what the phones do is that they exchange nonsense. They send each other random codes. Also, oh,
0: code... ra- n- nonsense in the information theoretic sense, not in the Facebook sense. No. So okay. basically,
1: mm-hmm. your code sends me. Your phone sends me a random code, which tells nothing about whom you are. And I, my phone sends you a random code, not telling you who I am. We know each other, but it's not the phones that know each other. But the phones both store this conversation of random codes. Now. If I one day end up test positive... Say next week? Yes, if that happened next week, not just within 14 days, Mm -hmm. then I would register that I have been infected with the phone, and then all the codes, I will basically have all the random nonsense, all the random codes I have been telling other people, they will get on a big aggregated list. Your phone will download the big aggregated lists and say,
0: on this list is one of the codes you heard. On oh, my phone. Okay. On your phone. Right. So, so one week ago, my phone received the number 17. It's probably a much larger number, it's a large random number. And the aggregate list has now noted that this particular random number, 17, is associated with somebody infected.
1: Exactly. And it will come with some, rec- some recommendations which are approved by the Danish Ministry of Health, which basically will say, you better get tested, you better be careful. It used to ask people to isolate, but the basic problem is, is that with these things, they're not perfect. And if you want to make, make sure you get not- notified if you have been close to somebody infected, there will also be some po- false positive. So in order to not make the burden too large, they first of all ask you to get tested as quickly as possible and be careful not to infect other people to find out if, in fact, you were infected. And I think maybe just at this point, I want to make clear that the Danish solution is not unique to Denmark. We are using the Google Apple API, which a lot of countries are using, and this is also... It helps because this means that the app can be used across countries, so it can be used internationally. So part of my role was to advise using this app rather than using some of the solutions that have been tried, say, in Norway.
0: Yeah, can we go back in time? So this started when in in March this year, March 2020, or when when did the Uh, developments in Denmark start?
1: So the whole thing... I don't know exactly when this started. I know when I got involved. So basically, uh, I have been writing about this in the newspapers earlier, uh, because I was very impressed with the Asian solutions, where they did use this kind of electronic uh, discoveries of who has been infected. And it's extremely powerful in Asia, where they outperform Europe by factors of tens or even hundreds. If you look at the number of infected cases, it's really wonderful how little their societies are infected. So, of course, this has inspired different countries, including Norway, who developed their own Smitte Stop or something similar. But their solution uh, was based on locations, and it sort of people felt that it gave up away too much information. It has, in fact, been deemed illegal, so they have stopped using it in Norway and asked people to deinstall it. So, Smitte Stop is a way of people being able to find out if they've been close to someone infected without ever finding out who it is, especially without anybody else being able to see who it is. So the governments have absolutely no access to information. And this is the most important thing about their solution because, or this solution, uh, well, the Google Apple solution, right? So you just donate the random codes you told people if you test positive. And that gets on a big aggregated list. So we had before, I think you said the code 17 was the one I had told you. And I tell this big aggregated list that 17 is a code of somebody infected. And it gets on the big aggregated list where maybe it goes five, seven, uh, 12, 15, 17, 19, 23, and so on. And nobody will have any idea that the 17 is from me okay so in that way it doesn't give out any information you just know that you saw heard 17 you don't even know you heard it from me you just know that this was one of the codes that you heard the last uh, 14 days and you can't even get into your phone and find out this is heavily protected so you can say this is one of the advantages of having google and apple involved they have actually worked hard to make sure that these numbers are carefully protected. And you can say, if anybody had the power to find these things, they would basically be able to hack your phone and they would not be interested in this. They would be much more interested in your bank account and everything else. So you can view this Smithers Bar Stop as being of least interest and of least concerns among all the things that can go wrong. I mean, we have so much power in our phones to access bank accounts and everything like that. So finding out who has been close to whom is not a high priority for any hacker.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay, so um, I I want to go back later to comparing these various approaches there are to implementing this. Um, So in early spring, you uh, had some articles in local newspapers. Uh, basically, evangelizing about the Asian solutions, which are not the solution we ended up adapting in Denmark, and then the government just contacted you, or how, how does this work? I think uh, basically
1: the government was trying, I think we via net company were trying to do something similar to uh, the Norwegian solution. The problem they had in Norway, and I guess everywhere in the West, is that you insisted on it being volunteer to download it and then people are worried about uh, whether you can be um, somebody can see what's going on. Or at least there
0: are some very loud voices in the newspapers who worry a lot about these things, worry about privacy. So maybe that's already useful as a distinction. So so one family of solutions does the digital digital contact tracing on the basis of data collected for instance by cell phone masts, by various Wi-Fi routers, and so on. There are lots of signals already in the public space that would be able and actually do track your cell phones, and that information could be made available to health authorities, and they could do all that tracking based on signals we already leave in the public sphere. If we don't want to do that, but instead want a solution that works on um, distributed individual phones talking to each other in a more or less anonymous way, then, since we want people to opt in voluntarily into this process, these privacy issues become important because you need adaptation. You need people to actually install this for it to work compared to the other solution where, where actually the mobile phone company doesn't really care about whether you opted in or out.
1: So, there's sort of two sides to this thing hmm? that I'd like to discuss yes. separately because one thing is we need precision so uh, knowing roughly where you are is not enough right so I mean one of the desires when it came to precision was to use the Bluetooth which where you can actually simply look at the signal strength between two different phones which is far more precise than trying to see where on planet Earth are you where you on planet Earth where I on planet Earth and based on that deduce how, how close we are to each other that is probably not going to be nearly precise enough,
0: and indeed... And Bluetooth Bluetooth is already there, it's technology developed not far from here, by, by, by the way, 40 kilometers from here, um, uh, that already informs phones about which other phones are close to them. That, so that's the technology we use to communicate with headphones, for instance, and other uh, devices close to our phones. So that was, it was already there, there by technological coincidence, I guess. Yes. So why not use that?
1: Well, so that's exactly what Google and Apple API are doing. Uh, It turned out that the Bluetooth as it was from the outside perspective, couldn't really be used, Apple's Bluetooth fell asleep in an untimely fashion so that uh, you wouldn't actually discover that you are close to somebody else all the time unless it was used actively. But Apple does have control over their own Bluetooth so they have been able to go down on the low level and make sure that they have a low energy version of Bluetooth that's always active. So having them involved, was very important, and I would also just say that having such big companies involved in doing this low-level thing, I think is a big advantage for how much we can trust the system in the sense that we do have the whole world troubleshooting or finding the problems and helping hardening this Bluetooth Google API. So again, we should understand the whole difference between the API and the app. So the API... Yeah, that's
0: that's useful. So API, Application Programming Interface... Just yes. a three letter word for most people exactly. so basically what the IPI does is it, it
1: discovers these matches so and it will bi- give you as far as I remember, it's a, a vector of four different, seven different numbers that gives you different
0: information about what the contact actually was and this piece uh, of technology is built into the phone whether I opt in or not, but this is part exactly. of the operating system of The two major phone vendors, so both Apple and Google, have built into their operating systems, iOS and Android, um, this uh, collection of small programs that, for instance, constantly informs other phones about whether they're close to them. Exactly. So that's already there and it's part of the operating system system. And Weather- they have
1: no, now also put this, API, this special API in, right? So APIs can be used for finding out where you are in the world and stuff like that. And this particular one is used to keep an eye on these kind of contacts so they can be reported if a match is found, right? So it send something about what was the duration, what was the intensity of the signal, all these different things. And based on that, the local app, will judge whether uh, the user should be informed. So this is a little bit like when you call your doctor and say, these are my contacts, is this contact serious, is this contact serious, should I cont- talk? Should I notify this person
0: or that person, the doctor will help you decide, should I react. Right, so and let's this- just unpack that, so there's the API, which is part of the operating system, a family of small programs that are basically always on and do things whether you tell them to or not. And on top of that, uh, developers can design and then users can install an application, uh, now called an app, um, that uses this API for functionality. And the app is what we're talking about here. In Denmark, that's Smitterstop, and there are similar apps in several other European countries. Germany has a big one. Yes, and, yeah, Belgium, many other countries. Many other and
1: countries. Uh, Norway is going to use the Danish app, actually. Ah, They're so getting it, uh, and they even have
0: already made it open source. So so this is interesting. So Norway started a different solution, not based on this uh, um, uh, operating system-level family of protocols that interact by sending random numbers between phones, but they used something else, I guess, a location-based yes. something? so okay.
1: something with... Uh, yeah, and they basically found that it was conflicting with GDPR, so they basically had to ask people to deinstall it. And now they are following this new international solution. It should be said, Norway were way ahead of the time when they started doing this thing, and they were very successful containing corona. Uh, I think most successful in Scandinavia and probably all of Europe, so they were doing an amazing job. But instead of doing it yourself...
0: Uh, now that we do things... But this kind of conversation are exactly what we like to have here, right? That technologically informed uh, uh, conversations about uh, technology and changes to technology, both in reaction to available technology, but also in reaction to uh, what the public adapts or what governments support or what can be financed and so on. So this is great stuff. So, um, so Norway is in the process of moving to the Danish program.
1: Yeah, I think they're pretty much there. Mm-hmm. Uh, not much is missing. Uh, And, of course, this makes sense. Uh, Mm -hmm. But, yeah, the whole thing about surveillance is, uh, I think, uh, a very interesting question because we do have challenges in in Denmark. We have very serious challenges convincing people to use the app. Mm -hmm. So, at the moment, it's roughly, I think, a third of the population, which is not... It's really not enough.
0: But it's huge. It's it's
1: very, very good, but basically because you need the two people who meet to both have the app installed. On the average, if it's one-third of the population who have the app installed, Uh, it's only a one in nine chance that a contact actually gets registered. And we would like the number to get much higher. The
0: efficiency of the solution increases with how many people have installed it. So the great thing is, it even increases with the square, which is good when
1: you start having twice as many people installing it, you get four times as many notifications. And it's very important not to give up, in the sense that the app is like a little alarm that sets off if corona comes and like any alarm in the houses and stuff like that you hope that it will never set off that's the ideal situation the more alarms the more cases of contacts gets discovered and the more we can succeed in stopping the spread of corona right i mean you have to think of every time you stop somebody Infected. So what the app can do is to warn you early that you're infected, so you get tested and discover it before you test other, you infect other people. And every time we stop somebody from infected, well, we have a chance of stopping somebody from dying. So it's a plus. So just because we don't have a perfect solution, every time it catches someone, it's a very good thing. But I just want to return to this whole point of the surveillance thing, because I think it's uh, very interesting also politically. As I said, the most important thing is that everybody should use it, and the whole difference between us and most Asian countries is that politically, people do not want it to be mandatory. Mm-hmm. You can say, in Asian country you can have it in the way it may not be mandatory, but you are not welcome anywhere without a green app. You can't enter the subway. You so, can't so just to
0: make sure, green app just means that the app on your phone tells you that you yes, no so, infection has been registered yes. for you. So mm-hmm. a
1: green app means two things. First of all, it means your app is active. It's there. You have an app. And it means that you have not been exposed to anything. And in fact, I think it also works even more centralized, so if you have been in a place where they later discover infections, they can turn your app red or yellow. But so, since you can't do anything, you're not welcome anywhere without a green app, there's a good reason to install it. And I think it's politically very interesting because you could almost say that people could choose themselves, for example. We now have that all bars in Copenhagen closes at 10. And we have all these restrictions because corona has spread like wildfire. And this is because of the people, because there's so many people who don't install the app. So it's the responsible people or the people who don't install the app that are the cause of all these problems we have in the sense that they are not doing their share to stop the spread of corona. One could imagine that everybody could choose themselves. Those who have the app could stay as long as they wanted with a green app, and those who did not have it could be sent home. So those who don't have it would have exactly the same world as they have now, but those who did opt in for the app, they could be given the freedom that they deserve because they're helping stopping the spread. I know this is a crazy solution because it's too easy to cheat But it's also very interesting. I find it's in some sense the dictatorship of the lazy that they have the freedom to not install the app. And that's what forces my parents to be afraid of corona because it's so widespread. By not doing things, by not helping, you are actually endangering all our elderly people. Why should you have the freedom to put everybody at risk? If you want to put it most extreme, you could call it a kind of manslaughter when you do not help stopping the spread of corona.
0: Yeah, no, this I'm is putting it very extreme. Yeah, I'm not sure you're doing the argument any favour by calling it manslaughter. But, but one of the points... So you, you, This was the strongest argument for installing the app. There are there several issues there that I want to unpack because it mentioned another uh, core value. One is, of course, absence of death, which is a good thing. But the thing you mentioned here is also that you, one might argue that we can make more open societies uh, if people subject themselves to this um, uh, opt-in surveillance. Right? So, that, so, so in your perspective, there are two solutions. One is all bars close anyway for everybody, or uh, bars are selectively open for those who are willing to subject themselves to... Um, to, these, uh, to installing the app, to this uh, self-surveillance. Yeah.
1: yeah, so at the moment we have a kind of collective punishment because not enough people opt in to help stopping the spread. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think it's a, what I'm more trying to say is just it raises some very interesting political questions. Like, for example, at the moment in Denmark, it is mandatory to wear face masks which is probably far less effective than
0: installing the app. And the app... Epidemiologically, from, from the perspective of uh, reducing...
1: Yeah, I shouldn't actually say, I think both are very important, yeah. but the basic thing is just, we do make masks mandatory. Now we have a ma- an app, which we have made sure cannot be used for surveillance. So we're basically just asking people to spend five minutes to install it on their phones. That we cannot make mandatory, and partly it would also be very difficult to do because there is no surveillance, so you can't see who is doing what. We can't see who has it on or anything like that.
0: But No, te- technically this should be easy, right? I mean, technically it should be easy to force. I mean, the, the API is already there, so, so, so most of the technology is already on your phone. So technically, it should be. Easy. It should also be technically be easy to trace anybody uh, whether they have the app installed or not, because we can trace people on their phone. I mean, my uh, a Google phone traces your movements anyway, yes, and shares it with
1: Google. Yes, yeah, so uh, we could trace these things, and indeed, that's what happens in. Uh Yes, yeah, so again, I find the whole thing so interesting because we actually have people's lives at stake. And the solution And for example, I hear people who have been visiting, I think, Taiwan and other places. The moment they shut down their phone or shortly after, the police will turn up and say, you turned off your phone.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. Because they use this for the contact tracing. On the other hand. I also hear people who are extremely happy that they can go to Disneyland and everything is completely open. Mm-hmm. So the, the price you pay for a society without fear for death because of corona and stuff like that is that you have this app. But it's, it's a very, very difficult thing. I can't even say what the solution is. No, now I'm luckily just a scientist and I just uh, <laughs> compare these different solutions. And I just want to say also... My role as an advisor has nothing to do with these political things we discuss here. I have mostly just been involved in explaining them within the general, what can you say, objectives. How does this whole thing works with making sure that you cannot trace things. So even though I'm not even sure I think it's the most important thing that you cannot survey, I have only been talking with them about why this thing cannot be surveyed, why it's safe why the nobody from outside can see who has been close to whom
0: right so the solution you're advocating is actually um is um, enforces values that are much more narrow than your own right i I guess you've sort of two different hats one is as michael as a concerned citizen about epidemic spread and the other is your role as an advisor to the board and is, is it is it fair to say that that the solution you are advising the government uh, has a more strict interpretation of the value of privacy than you yourself would have?
1: Yes. I mean, I'm one of these people who, for example, uses Google Map
0: for traffic. I give
1: away my... where I drive and everything like that to Google App so that they can help me guide... help guiding me around uh, traffic games and stuff like that. Uh, And if... I could do, if I could give away my data the same way in order to be guided around corona, James, Mm -hmm. I would happily use Mm -hmm. that personally, and I kind of would love to give that. But, again, in our democracy, we do want this whole thing to be volunteer. And as long as we do want that, it's important that as many people as possible sign up for the app and even people who don't share your values,
0: right? I guess that's yes. The, the whole point, point is. So
1: I would rather have an app that as many people as possible use than have the most useful app. Okay. So that's, well, the, that's so the whole thing. So this is uh, and this is why I have put aside my ideas for what I would like to do and just think about how can we get most people want to use this mm-hmm. app and feel safe mm-hmm. to use it. Mm-hmm. But what? this has been very frustrating because. A lot of media a lot of, have written about that there's surveillance, even though there's not. So in some sense, what happened here was people were scared of, scared of surveillance. And this is why we picked a solution making surveillance completely impossible.
0: And still quite, people Quite afraid. impossible. As, so I'm, I'm happy, certainly for the sake of this conversation, to, to sort of um, uh, take the opposite role after somebody being... Uh, much more paranoid about surveillance than I am about uh, COVID-19. And, uh, and I have the app installed. So from that perspective, it works, right? Because even I, who is probably maximally paranoid and has a pretty good technical background in understanding what's going on, I, after one or two sleepless nights, installed the app on my phone, right? Because I'm kind of convinced that, that among the many terrible solutions, this is the least bad, Right. So, so in that perspective, from that point of view, this was a success. Right? It, it it is enough to convince people like me that that comparing all these many terrible trade-offs to each other, which involve loss of open society, loss of freedom, loss of safety, death, infection, bars closing at ten, having to wear a face mask, and all these things are um, are complicated. I think to navigate in, but. As we sit here, your SmitterStop app and my SmitterStop app are happily uh, exchanging numbers, as it should be. Yes. Right, and and this exactly works because uh, the solution that is implemented is this, I think, cube uh, 3 distributed privacy-preserving proximity tracing. Right. So, and, and I would enjoy us to sort of be quite precise about how that works and and what it is and what it isn't. So maybe if you if we could. Um, um, pretend this is now one of those board meetings that you attended? I guess you were the technical person there, or maybe there are one or two technical persons, and then I guess there are people with other concerns, and then you what hash this out over a beer or how did this work i'm I'm genuinely curious about how this works. I guess it was online meetings
1: Yes, so yes, most yes everything was online except we had one reception at the time when corona was least bad and when it was allowed and where we actually got to see the other people which was very nice (laughs) Uh, yes so um, first of all the board had uh, five people two from uh, the the council of ethical uh, data usage Yeah. Data 80s call,
0: right? Yeah. Yes, the and of uh,
1: you can see their main role is to uh, cry wolf every time uh, they're worried about people's privacy. Mm-hmm. Then there was one who was in the business of um, security. So he is also saying data are very scary because I can help protecting you. So he has a business interest in making people scary. I'm not saying he did it in this case, not at all. But I'm just saying, if you look at the interest groups, one is saying data is scary. The second says data is scary and I can save you. Mm -hmm. And then there were two computer scientists, one from the DTU and one from University of Copenhagen. And what data scientists mostly do uh, is to say data is useful and data can help society. And in this case, we have that data can help preventing the spread of COVID-19. So that's an example of something extremely useful because
0: otherwise it can't spread wildfire. I have to put a pin on this here because this is really interesting. So these core values of different disciplines is something that, that I, uh, I'm i endlessly fascinated by. I think it's true to say, it's correct to say that data scientists, and one of the board members is a data, data scientist, a network scientist, right? Um, I think it's correct to say that their value would be that data is useful and more data is just more useful, and, uh, and, and, and there's an, an arrow of uh, technical, uh, economical, and moral progress uh, throughout civilization that is carried forth by more and more data. Mm-hmm. Computer science, on the other hand, also has these core values of uh, anonymity, uh, neutrality, accessibility, and transparency and privacy right so, so I, I think there 's a, a strong tradition in computer science, one that I like a lot that makes privacy an extremely important value. Maybe the IT security guy uh, had that, uh, had that role so I, I, think, I think the nerdy core values of computer science also include anonymity and privacy, and these values are contrasting with this other idea that we just need to be ultra-transparent and, um, and just need to spread data uh, in all directions. Yes. But, but maybe I'm wrong. I, I no, find you're absolutely is, uh, right.
1: to so can in some sense say that by having two computer scientists, they got even two more people who want to protect data. And indeed, the uh, whole area of cryptography and sending yeah. safe messages is all a product of computer science. So indeed... We are aware of it, so we have multiple hats on. We uh, we want to play both games, both the one of trying to use data. I mean, for example, just looking at how people search on Google is the quickest way of discovering a new flu outbreak and stuff like that, mm-hmm. much quicker than anything mm-hmm. else. Um, so yes, these. Yeah, are I guess this tension is it
0: makes it make it. Super. So I was interrupting you back to your back to your board meeting story bedtime story.
1: Yeah, and. Uh, of course, these uh, board meetings wasn't that people were adhering to these roles. I just remember noticing this thing when I got called on the board that I was involved as this technical guy, and whereas uh, the other pe- people, you can say, had more of a political agenda. So I was basically just trying to say, how can we make most use of the data? How can we protect them? But mm-hmm. I-, I can say my role mm-hmm. was maybe more as an expert mm-hmm. than the others. Mm-hmm. But I think it was good they had us involved. And I think uh, they really had this concern of getting something that people would use. I mean, that's clearly the biggest concern with a volunteer app. So the whole
0: problem I hmm?
1: with uh, something like this that is volunteer is that since you don't even check up if people use it, you can just see how few people were willing to use a face mask when it was just so sort of suggested before it became mandatory. You only had a few percent using it. That's not really enough. So it's very hard for the individual. You get almost no benefit from using the app. Because mm-hmm. since not everybody's using it, just because it doesn't tell you anything... Uh, it doesn't mean that you haven't been infected.
0: Okay there's some symmetry with face masks here as well and even vaccines right that the individual would actually benefit from everybody else using it but exactly that yourself you're not incentivized and this maybe goes back to this cultural difference that you also observed between uh, between Asia where Asia is as you know a huge place with many different cultures and many different traditions but there are more collectivist uh, 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 traditions in Asia and Whereas Europe has a stronger record for individual uh, individualism, so, yes. so so maybe some of these measures that are built on uh, voluntary participation have an easier time being adapted, more or less automatically in. Well, Asia. I think
1: in Asia it's implicitly forced because you better have a green app to go yeah. anywhere. Yeah, then it's then it's
0: coerced, so it's not it's not voluntary. No, yeah. hmm? but for example, what would happen if we
1: had an election? Right. So, again, let's just assume the app works perfectly. So, I'm telling you, as a God-given, that it takes five minutes to install. That's a whole investment. And if everybody around you used it, Corona would be gone. It is as good as gone. It will never be completely gone. People travel. There will be people coming now and then. So, now... People get to vote in the same way as in the American election, you vote between two different worlds, now you get to vote. You can either vote for the world where everybody has to go home at 10 o'clock, where we get more than a thousand infected every day, everybody has to worry about everybody, people have to work from home, our economy gets a very big hit. Asian economies beat the shit out of us because they're out having f- at full capacity now, China we see, whereas we're just going down. And we're crossing our fingers the vaccine comes. If it doesn't, we're dire straight. If it turns out the corona manages to go around it, we're really in deep shit. So that's one world. And the other world, everybody has to spend five minutes installing an app. What would you vote for? Mm-hmm. Everybody and if we even assume that it's true that nobody can see who has the app installed. Except you can test that they have it. Well, whatever. I know I'm sort of saying some contradictions, but I'm basically talking about the choice between spending five minutes, having everybody else spend five minutes installing the app, and all these losses. We're talking about thousands of thousands of crones for every day. It's really a lot of money we are losing. So you have a choice between uh, spending five minutes and getting a check of 10,000 crowns Mm -hmm. or not doing Mm -hmm. it. I think most people
0: would vote
1: for spending five minutes each. I mean, spending five minutes is less than paying tax. So I think it's very interesting. What's the limit of democracy? Could we have a vote on this? So we have a vote between the two different worlds
0: one where everybody spends five minutes installing an app? Uh, I'm sufficiently cynical that I'm not even sure whether this requires a vote, because just the Danish law about epidem- epidemics is, is being uh, rewritten right now, and, and apparently we are able to slaughter entire economies and, uh, and small furry rodents uh, with, with abandon uh, without this requiring an election. We don't have direct democracy, so we can't ask these kinds of questions in Denmark, but... but um, um, yeah. Good question. I don't know the answer to that, and it's it's of course also a question that will come up in connection with vaccines. Right? What? what how far is the state allowed to go to um, strongly motivate people to take a to take a vaccine?
1: Yeah, it's some very interesting times we live in. I think we are having some very tough choices, uh, very difficult choices, uh, very ethically, mm-hmm. aesthetically, uh, mm-hmm. very challenging things
0: let me get back to the board meeting whether the technical things that you actually had a chance to explain there or or is it basically just on your authority you're saying this works and information theory exists and uh, the chance of guessing a random prime is very small or does it actually get down to to technical issues in these meetings i think that I know that I many times
1: during the meetings had to explain it and especially the other professor kept saying just listen to Miguel uh, uh, when it came to explaining how these different things were of course he also knew it mm-hmm. very well but it's very surprising that it is possible to have a solution that is privacy preserving it's not at all an obvious solution if you just hear about the problem in the first place how can you make sure that the phones discover who has been close to whom without having some central database somewhere that keeps track of people. How can this be possible? So even explain it because it's so beautiful. Like many solutions we have are based on cryptography. You try to hide things by layers of different keys and stuff like that. But here's the solution is so simple the only time... So we have all this information that just gets stored in the conversations. That just happens locally on the phones. In principle somebody could have put up devices at every, every square meter of Denmark to check these uh, conversations. But this would be a huge investment and not worth anything. And especially
0: no foreign power, power can do that. Oh you're, Unlike, you're, say, you're, when you're, you're hacking you're, to okay, things and stuff like that. So, But the devices exist, right? M- mobile phone cell phone masks do exactly this recording yeah, yeah. recording the proximity of phones already so yeah, the yeah. proximity of phones is recorded already and sent back to Google I guess and your phone company knows it they don't know all the Bluetooth stuff no they don't know the Bluetooth stuff they know the Wi-Fi stuff so yeah, yeah, so yeah. There, there's a difference that in protocol but I don't think there's a difference in what should we call this surveillance of ethics No, it, it should
1: So this is completed. So this Mm -hmm. app is just working on this Bluetooth thing, which is just this local information Mm -hmm. between users. We just store it locally. Nobody from the outside hear anything about it for now.
0: We now being the users, Tua and Miguel, our phones store this locally on the phone. Mm -hmm. And nobody from outside hear about it. And then you have this thing that
1: if you get tested, that's the first time you give away any information.
0: If you get test positive. That's the first time that any information is given away. Yeah, let's let's play this out. I go to the health authorities. I take a corona test. It comes up positive. Now what happens? I now, now have. The-
1: now you tell all the codes that
0: you told others. You tell that to the big aggregated list. I guess I I have to do something on the phone, right? I actually click a button, say I am now tested positive. I identify myself to my phone again, I guess. Yes. Right. This is easy in Denmark because everybody, uh, th- there is already a third party authentication uh, protocol in Denmark that is used for internet banking for instance as well yeah that everybody has and trusts so I reconfirm to my phone that I am who I am and tell my phone that yes I have just tested positive for corona this is a choice I have but let's assume that I do that as a good citizen now the phone does what then the
1: phone basically uploads all these codes to the big aggregated list
0: including the number 17 that you sent to my phone last week? No, exactly not. It only, if it's you who got infected... Oh, I
1: forgot whom you said was infected.
0: I don't know. Let's pretend I'm infected now. No, let's
1: pretend it's me. Okay. Because it was me who sent the code 17. Then I would send the code 17 to the big list. If you got infected, even though you heard me tell you 17, you do not tell 17 to the big accurate okay, list. Thank you. That was very good. The important thing is it's only the things you have told others you tell to the big list. So as long as I don't get infected or anything like that, no information about me will ever be revealed to anyone outside except that you locally heard I told you at 17. Mm -hmm. So this is basically it. So the only information is the random codes you told people that you upload if you get infected.
0: But that is a volunteer choice, right? If you want and to I'm not that. even telling the system that I am infected. I'm just in telling the system my random numbers. Well, you have to identify yourself. Right, right. I did identify and, myself. And this is to extremely get important yeah, because yeah, they're yeah.
1: very, very afraid that people will spam this with a lot of infected codes, yeah. uh, so that everybody stay home and our economy goes down. Right. So. Oh, that's uh, that, yeah. That's so uh, it has been felt like
0: James Bond attack on yeah. the economy. Yes, so basically.
1: Excellent. We have to make sure that those who upload the infected
0: codes really are Mm -hmm.
1: correctly infected.
0: Yes. So infected Mikkel told the system Mikkel is infected. Uh, The random numbers that Mikkel has sent out, for instance, the number 17, which Tor received, which I received, is now flagged as uh, the number sent out by somebody who was infected. And now my phone regularly asks... The database, yes. please send me the numbers.
1: Yes. Of and yeah. So basically, you download the list ever so often, and last I heard about the numbers, it was something like once every six hours. That may change. It doesn't really matter. Okay. You're basically just... I mean, it doesn't matter that you on the minute know that 12 days ago, uh, you are close to somebody infected. So
0: one more important question. I think I know the answer, but just let me ask it. Does my phone remember... I saw 17 and 17 is now infected or does it remember, I saw 17, I got it from Mikkel and 17 is now infected?
1: So it only knows that you saw 17 and you can't even actually see when the infected number, you can't on your phone see when that number came from so you can't even say oh. it trace it to a certain meeting I mean this is again a privacy concern. right so, so, so it's just
0: the number 17 I can't see when I saw the 17 I can't say where. I can't see who I got the 17 from all I know now is that in the last 14 days I've been close to somebody who sent me this random number 17 and 17 is now on the list of infected numbers
1: yes and here mm? it's sort of the involvement of Google Apple API, which we basically view as a black box. CIA can't hack Apple, and certainly the Danish government can't hack Apple. So we are basically stuck with the information that Apple releases. And the same with Google and Android. So the only information the Danish authorities have, or that sort of comes out, is the information that, yes, 17 was a match. Not where and when.
0: Tell me why I should put more trust into an... International private company than into my public health authority. I guess it's a technical issue, right? I actually trust Apple to do this very well, but why should I trust Apple to not lie to me? So, here I think you have to look at interests.
1: Apple already has unlimited access to far more important information than this thing here. You yeah. have, an, at least many of us have, an Apple wallet where you can use that to
0: run your credit card. People have mobile pay, have
1: all kinds This is of a good things. example of something that I don't so, use
0: because I'm maximally paranoid about these things. Okay, so mm. basically, okay, so here's the deal the app runs,
1: the whole idea in the app. Rather than having everybody give everybody a bracelet, like in Singapore, I think they use the bracelets uh, that used to be used for prisoners to give to people who entered the country to make sure they didn't run away from their hotels and infected other people. And the bracelet has a device in it? Yeah, that's an electronic device, so they can basically trace where you are, right? So, what I'm just saying, we could imagine one extreme solution, which was that we developed a piece of hardware, a bracelet, something like that, that everybody was forced to wear. I Mm -hmm. could not imagine such a society, but something like that could be possible. I read science fiction. I can easily imagine that. Oh, I can easily (laughs) imagine, yes. But here, instead, the idea was to run on devices that most people already have and trust. So, basically... And this is a sufficiently large percentage of the population that it would work without having to buy things for everyone. I mean, the alternative would have that everybody got a little device to keep in their pockets. Right, right, right. Okay, so okay. Now now have, I understand. F4. So this is a
0: design parameter because the alternative would have been to make a bracelet, maybe in red, white Danish colors, with yes. the, little, the Little Mermaid on it or something that people trust. But the question is, would the would more than thirty percent of the population use that instead of the phone? F- yeah, so it's, it's, hard it's a real to question if it wasn't about fall. prediction predicting what kind of electronic device will people adapt and trust more. Yeah. So mm-hmm. here are the basic
1: idea is to make an app that runs on devices that people already use and trust. And in this connection, you are having an, uh, mm-hmm. if it's a, an Apple, you're having a, an iPhone, then the iPhone is run by Apple. It offers a variety of APIs, something that can find locations, something that can maintain which matches and stuff like that. And now the question is, do you want to make an app that uses the things that are available from Apple via these APIs, right? And basically, all the Danish authorities can do is to use the Apple iPhone as a black box. This is this computer science terminology. Something we can't see what's inside. You just know it offers a certain functionality. So, Apple offers this functionality, and we can use it or not. Mm-hmm. And this functionality requires that you have your Bluetooth and running. And some people refuse to do that. Uh, some people say it's worth it, but again. We are trying to run on something that many people have, and we also have problems with old phones that uh, don't run this uh, feature. And actually, one reason they don't do it is because the old Bluetooth wasn't safe enough. Right. So basically, the the API you can't run the API. They actually make sure you have an updated version of bluetooth which is considered safe and what does considered safe mean it means nobody knows how to break it at least apple and those guys don't know Mm -hmm. how to have it Mm -hmm. so it's only if you have an upgraded uh, version of this whole stuff that you get to run it but so again you trust apple
0: it's only for people who trust their phone that you can use this thing and the argument then is clearly there are enough people who already trust their phone to routinely collect Data about them and share them left and right. Yes, uh, that um, these people may also be incentivized to install what install a tracing app that does less than your phone already does. Yes,
1: exactly. <laughs>
0: yeah, that was maybe a, a cynical way of putting it. Because, but I want I, I want to, to, to just hammer home the point: the location data on your phone is collected, stored, and communicated anyway. Right? If you have a Google phone, then you can ask Google and Google will tell you exactly where you've been the last yes. two weeks. And, uh, and that information is shared with not the Danish health authorities, but with uh, vendors of plush toys and sports shoes.
1: Yeah, and I would have been happy to try to use these uh, data. I mean, you, yeah, you use it for Pokemon, uh, you use yep. it for... Mm-hmm. When you're running apps, all yeah. these different things. Yeah, a running things. app is
0: already a tracking device and the running app could quickly be changed into a proximity tracing device. It would work perfectly. It would work perfectly, but the question is, would people trust using it? So it's, it's this interesting, I guess, yeah, trade-off. So, I think actually... I think the reason why many
1: people are more worried than these about these things is because there are some very loud people in the media who worry about it. What I'm just saying is uh, people, most people are not afraid of letting Google use the apps to maintain location or Momondo and stuff like that.
0: Well, most people also dislike it, but the dislike is not um, translated into behavioral change. Right? There, there is this trade-off between convenience and safety on one side, and principled stances towards surveillance on the other side, and, and most people are in cognitive dissonance about this, right? Most, yeah, so, most, so here yeah.
1: it is, we have this very interesting
0: problem that
1: when you share your location with your Google Map, then you get a direct advantage you have this incentive, incentive oh, that you find yeah. out that you avoid traffic games. If you share your uh, location data with Momondo, it helps you calculate how fast you run, all this kind of stuff. You get a in direct case, advantage. how slow I run. Uh, it could be, <laughs> but whatever it is, you get a direct advantage. The big frustrating problem with this thing here is that with the Corona app, Smith is It only matters that everybody else install it. You have no personal incentive. So you would like to pay everybody else to do it,
0: but you'd rather not do it yourself. It's a collective advantage.
1: It's a collective advantage and zero advantage for yourself. And I think this is what makes it technically very, very difficult to deal with there is no incentive for the individuals this is why I 'm kind of suggesting pay a thousand crowns for everybody who install it do something because this is the value for mm-hmm. society it. it has a huge value for society that the individual that all everybody installs it not the individual but that everybody installs it
0: yeah or and just, or just ten percent more right and any increase in number of people who install the app uh, gives an increase in reduced infection.
1: Exactly. So, basically, you can say you're almost working for society. Your phone is working for society when you install this app. And the society would save a ton of money to pay people to install it, if that meant that more people installed it. In order to say that you should get some of the benefit for society from installing it, otherwise I don't see how to get people to do it. I just don't see how to do it if we don't do something. At oh, the moment, they have zero interest doing it themselves. They only have interest right, in other right, people. Right. The, the, how do you resolve the, the, this problem? The state
0: is a powerful beast that can force people to do many things. Right now, we try to, but you could also incentivize we try to not do that. Yeah.
1: But, how, but the question is then... If it has to be voluntarily, can we incentivize it? Because mm-hmm. it doesn't have its own incentive. That's what we discussed before with the Google solution, the Google traffic. It has its own incentive. The Momento has its own incentive. Here indiv- society, individual, individual incentive. Individual yeah, yeah. incentive. Here there is no individual incentive. How about creating it? How can we create an individual incentive so that it reflects the societal value of people installing it? I don't see anything wrong. If all taxpayers can save 10,000 crowns if everybody installed it, why not pay 1,000 crowns to everybody who does install it? Then everybody would save 9,000 crowns. And in fact, the people who install it would get the last 1,000 as well. Okay. So
0: can we incentivize it? I, I, think, okay. I think you're making this point very well. I, I'm, I'm very much on the other side, but I, I think this is the strongest point that, that you can make for this um, this idea that that a surveillance increasing application that does not have an individual immediate positive effect for the individual um, should be incentivized by other means rather than government coercion because government coercion is still on the table. The government could just say, "We're doing it like this full stop. We are so using just... we are using uh, the the danger of an epidemic uh, infection uh, of of epidemic is so big that instead of trying to play games with incentivizing people to install apps on their phone, we just mandate by government that people's uh, movements in the public sphere are going to be tracked full stop. Mm. If we can kill 18 million minks, we can do that.
1: Yeah, so if you talk about incentive, it's well used in connection with fertilizers in Denmark, right? There, we tax things, that's sort of anti-incentive, right? Where again, we try to play with the incentives by putting something artificial. This is sort of like a negative tax. You actually get money back because you save the society for a ton of money if you install this app, mm-hmm. so we reward the behavior that helps society
0: the most. Mm-hmm. I get it. Yeah. Instead of punishing yeah. Yeah. what doesn't help. There is a whole, there's a huge conversation which we only sort of opened the door to, which are the long-term consequences of of um, what getting people used to self-survey in order to build a good society, something that I strongly dislike, but but this is not the right uh, uh, conversation to have that in. Hopefully you can have that in a, in, a, in, a, in a later conversation. I want to just now go once, st- one way of understanding what a digital technology does is to see what it replaces. And so contact tracing, so we're talking about digital contact tracing. Contact tracing is already exists, has existed for decades, and it's a completely non-digital process. So, so pandemics happen all the time. And um, one of the big, I guess, breakthroughs of the 20th century is that we got rid of smallpox basically by just deciding it. So uh, a random guy in Russia said, let's get rid of smallpox. And then everybody said, yeah, let's do that. And 20 years later or so, it was gone. And, um, and combating a pandemic requires many, many different approaches. And one of them, one of the pillars of, of disease control is indeed contact tracing, which is done and has been routinely done for decades in all kinds of pandemics. So smallpox is re- eradicated by doing this personal, individual contact tracing with a nurse or some other, other health official contacting you and asking you uh, to tell where you were. So, uh, as soon as you found an infected individual, Uh, There are established protocols all over the world using human-to-human contact, two-hour interviews with a piece of paper or a whiteboard where the individual um, relates where they've been the last week or two weeks, depends on the pandemic parameters, of course. And this is, in some sense, what we are automating or part of it which we are automating. And there is something about also close friends and and far friends. Can you tell a bit about that because it doesn't replace in the entire process it replaces some of the process about close contacts and far contacts right i guess i guess the people in your family we are still tracing by traditional means yes even for the covid 19 pandemic
1: yeah no so the, the, again i am not saying that made is stop replaces traditional contract tracing. Con- traditional contract tracing is superior when it comes to clusters. Clusters, sort of people who know each other, uh, families, work clusters, and stuff like that. If you know who is around, and you know the circumstances, of the contact, then it's far more effective than anything we can do based on signal strength and duration and stuff like that. And let's just hammer home that
0: point. We are already doing this. We've done this for decades. Everybody's doing this, right? Yeah. If you get sick, then you you will have this conversation with a health worker talking about your family, co-workers, everybody you remember. Yeah. And...
1: I'm also hoping that the whole testing thing will become more and more seamless, easy, because then we can spread the net and we can say even more people should be tested just in case because this, whether you infect someone or not, can be a little bit unpredictable, also because we have these uh, super spreaders and all this kind of stuff. But what I want to say here is, yes, majority of transmissions happens within clusters that know each other, the vast majority. Mm -hmm. Most people get infected by a family member or something like that. But if it just stayed within families, it would never spread beyond the first family who got it.
0: Because it's easily identified and easy to isolate.
1: Yeah, it would just stay within the family. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't stay within one family. The dangerous transmissions are those that happen between clusters. Without, though, without jumping between clusters, it would never be a problem. So these are the dangerous ones. These are the ones who are hard to trace and the ones that are impossible for traditional contract tracing. Okay, let's just hammer so, so, so
0: cluster is what you and I would talk, some, some kind of clique. It's a, a small... group that know each other. A small, highly connected part in the social network yeah. social and network which, in the broad and, sense. And,
1: and of course it transmits very easily within people who sleep together yeah. or spend eat dinners together and stuff yeah. like that we can't stop that transmission but that's also not a big problem I mean of course it's a problem the whole family gets sick for the individuals it's a problem but it's not a problem for spreading the pandemic no but for hmm. but what makes the family what makes the pandemic dangerous is that it jumps between clusters that it jumps between contacts that do not know each other. And this is where Smetestop has an advantage that it can help catch these cases where you are close to
0: someone you don't know, that you sit with in the bus or something like that. Because these are normally not well caught by the standard, traditional contact tracing mechanism.
1: That's why it's so important. Mm Yeah. So, uh, and that's why we need it, but that's also why you shouldn't look at the number of things it catches. So, of course, uh, within families, it should catch those, and it's embarrassing if it doesn't catch them, but that's not the important ones. It's these random contacts that are extremely important to catch, and the more you catch of those, the better. That's where you find the missing links Mm -hmm. in the spread, if we think about uh, concentration,
0: yeah. Excellent. Did we cover everything? Is there more you want uh, off your chest? Because I think we did get quite far with the technical part and what it does epidemiologically, and we opened the door to the uh, socio-technical aspects as well. Are there I more meetings we- in the board, or is it just done now? Uh, I,
1: there will be more meetings, I'm pretty sure. There are so things the app, to discuss. the app
0: continues to be under development, or how does this work?
1: Uh, there will be a new solicitation for further developments, and it will be hardened. Are, I'm not involved in implementing the app mm-hmm. or coding it. Uh, there's a company involved, and mm-hmm. uh, bugs are found like with any other uh software, I can say the most important thing is that people don't deinstall it just because there's a mistake. You don't want to have people start from scratch. And I hope they will always upgrade so they get the latest new. There, this is
0: true for all software.
1: Yeah. And of course, uh, it's also going to be upgraded with uh, medical information, right? I mean, uh, these are sort of, how do we interpret this thing? So again, remember, the Google Apple, a- Apple API, they give you this These seven numbers that characterizes the contact. Hmm? Is this a serious contact or is it not? They have discovered with super spreaders that they can transmit much further. So maybe everybody within two meters should be notified and told to get tested. There keeps being changes like that.
0: Ah, so a super-spreader is an identified individual who spreads a lot during a what, b- very period well, of time? Well, I'm just talking about
1: the thing that's uh, described in the, yeah, in the newspapers, right, that you, it, it appears that it's not at all predictable how much you transmit the disease. I can say one of my friends, his daughters, boyfriend had the disease they lived together and still even though she was with him in all the most dangerous days Mm -hmm. she never contracted the Mm -hmm. disease. So some people don't spread at all or at least some people don't receive the disease Mm -hmm. at all. She has tested multiple times. Mm -hmm. She never got it. And then you have these cases where one individual can infect I think the record is something like 130. I don't think people should try to break the record in seeing how many they can transmit, but it seems like that you can transmit to 100 people in a day if you're one of the infectious guys. And of course, if you manage to fly in some closed room and stuff like that and shout a lot, then that gives more bonus points, So I should say negative.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a singer. For me, this is terrible. I mean, yeah. re- choir rehearsals have been cancelled and it's it's terrible for me. But, yeah. but it, these are... So we keep getting information about
1: how we want to change things. So that's also why it's important. It's always updated so that you have the latest information in to interpret uh, these different things.
0: Excellent. So how where was it on the... So communicating with even other academics or the public about technically and in particular... Sociotechnically different things is, is both extremely uh, frustrating and also extremely um, what should we call this satisfying, right? Because you can make a change. So where was this on the on the balance? Is it more frustrating than than satisfying?
1: I think it was actually very satisfying because they well okay so it was academically satisfying that they wanted me to help them find out what it meant to be privacy preserving, right? Even though. I am not sure I prefer privacy or, die or, or the disease, but anyhow, so technically it was very interesting to be involved in this thing, and they were really listening, and mm-hmm. they were really listening to advisors. They basically told us up front that if we didn't approve of the overall design, they wouldn't put out the app. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was this strong. We mm-hmm. really actually had some power. One of the satisfying things is that we pushed for open source. And while it's not open source yet, it's part of the solicitation, so it's part of the contract for the next version. So this was one of the key wins, and I think this will also help finding possible errors in it. So yes, they have listened uh, to what we have said, and uh, it has been very interesting to work with these people. These are people who really care about it. My big frustration right now is that Only a third of the population has uh, adapted it. And uh, again, it is the easiest of all weapons against corona. Five-minute installation time. And for most people, that will be it. So the problem we have is when people get drunk, they forget about distance. But the phone doesn't get drunk. As long as you don't drop your phone somewhere (laughs) and you just have it... Uh, with you, the phone will tell you if you got into trouble later. And it's not that it's going to tell you off. It's just saying, sorry, you've been close to an infected. right? So this is, I think, the perfect thing if we can get in particularly the young people to use it. It may be difficult to prevent them from getting close to each other. That happens. But if at least they have the app, then they could get notified if they had been close to someone infected and and be told, now it's not the time to hug your grandparents, stay low, uh, get tested before you see them. Yes.:
0: Thank you very much. I know from personal experience with you that uh, none of uh, young people are not the only people to get drunk. <laughs> True. but yes. So when, I, I hope we will get back there sooner or later, uh-huh. um, Thank you very much for coming, Michael. This was well, super thank interesting. Thank you. And um, it's a pleasure. Thank you all for listening.